0: Hello and welcome to the back page of video games podcast. I'm Samuel Roberts. And I'm joined as ever by Matthew Castle. Hello, how's it going, Matthew? Are you well? You had a good weekend. It's a Sunday evening. Sort of. Uh, I'm a little bit toasty. I've had the heating on too high, and I've eaten a giant roast dinner. How are you doing?
1: Yeah, I've actually got a real sweat on because we've got the heating up quite high. Um, really? Is that a bit Tory of me to admit that?
0: oh <laughs> well, yeah yeah have you got your smart meter next to you to see how much you're spending just watching it no tick i've up? just I've just whacked it up oh wow yeah it's how, that's where the patreon money's going <laughs> is on uh, yeah. <laughs> heating 24 7 so yes we are joined again by a uh, magazine themed guest matthew so neil would you like to introduce yourself yeah hello
2: uh, i'm neil long former editor of uh mcv official nintendo magazine thing called iGamer that no one read <laughs> Uh, Edge online, and then I worked at Apple for a long time, and now I'm the editor of uh, Mobile Gamer Dog Biz.
0: Excellent. And so, uh, yeah, Neil's here today to um, blow the lid on Apple and uh, what he thinks of Tim <laughs> Cook, so I'm excited to get into that. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, uh, yeah. Get, the, get those lawyers ready. <laughs> uh, I am joking, of course, uh, Neil's here to talk about uh, working on all the things he just listed. So, uh, Neil, how's it going? As, uh, how's, how's things with you currently?
2: I'm, uh, I'm running a website entirely by myself, uh, so that's good. Busy. Uh, busy times, uh, reporting on what's happening in mobile.
0: Mm, yeah, cool. So we'll we'll get into that um, after delving into your entire professional history. So lots to ask you about here. Uh, Matthew, what's part of your thinking with having Neil on to talk about how what the official version of the nintendo uh, sort of magazine side was like while you were on endgamer was that part of the reason you yeah,
1: a little bit like when we had dan dawkins on and and you know you were talking a little bit about the sort of magazine rivalry and it, it isn't quite that because to say that like endgamer was in any way an efficient rival to own is kind of laughable um, <laughs> in terms of sales figures but like we both covered the same period you know you know, we work quite closely together. I obviously sort of inherited ONM, but you know, by then Nintendo in a slightly different place, and I just thought it'd be fun to talk about, um yeah, like ONM during the kind of the heyday of like Wii and DS, when Nintendo could do no wrong, and like the amazing opportunities that ONM and Neil and
0: his team got as a result of that. Yeah, that's sort of like an interesting comparison. So, mm. Neil. To start with, what's your personal history of video games and what are your earliest console and gaming obsessions and or memories? I remember
2: playing Pong at my cousin's house and <laughs> my cousin had a a chipped SNES Right. Like, it had, like, a uh, hundred games on it. <laughs> oh <my>. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, a trip to my cousin's house was uh, amazing. You'd, you'd play uh, just anything you could uh, think of and hope the, you know, police didn't turn up. <laughs> but, yeah, but uh, I guess before that, it was, yeah, my first console was probably Atari 2600, 2600, however you say it. California Games, that sort of era. Then I got a NES with, like, the double-pack super mario brothers duck hunt classic then i was uh i was a mega drive guy in my teen years which i kept fairly quiet while i was on o and m right luckily towards the end of the mega drive years i had a sort of (laughs) a rich friend who had a snes with loads of games and um i just said why don't we swap i'll i'll give you my mega drive and my like 11 games and i'll have your snes and your like 15 games (laughs) Uh, So I just had his SNES for a a summer, which was great.
1: I had a similar deal with the boys across the river who lived (laughs) opposite us. Mm. Um, They had a SNES, we had a Mega Drive and we'd often swap it. So I feel like we both had
0: a diet of... Each console. Is just further down the line from when you had played the bootleg Snares? Then, so were you like, <laughs> we were, were you, did you kind of have the appetite to check out the Snares off the back of that? And presumably, a copper came in and went, "Oi, have you got a licence for that copy of Earthbound, <laughs> etc." Like, did, did did having that experience exposing you to it make you want to basically like check out what the Snares was all about at that point?
2: Because games were so expensive, I just read mags all the time. Yeah, I, I kind of uh, experienced games a lot of in a lot of ways, just through the magazines. Mm. Like, Street Fighter was, like, 70 quid mm. in the 90s. And, like, I think I had one friend who could afford to buy that. Mm. <laughs> and that was my rich friend. It's worth sort of noting how the the rhythms of, like, how you acquired games were basically just birthdays and Christmas. Yeah. Or it was for me anyway. Mm. So you'd get, basically, two games a year. So it wasn't, like, this bonanza that it is now. Mm. Um You'd, you'd like to get your one game for six months and try and make yourself enjoy it if it was a dud. But yeah, uh, after that, I mean, honestly, I kind of lost interest uh, in games a bit. I had a PlayStation, played a lot of Doom on that, uh, which is a weird thing for a PlayStation. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. It's, a, it's not a native. Doom is not a native PlayStation <laughs> brand, I would say. But uh, yeah, really enjoyed that. But then I got, I think I borrowed Gran Turismo and Final Fantasy VII and um, absolutely hated both of them, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, which is very, um, I, you know, very kind of unfashionable, I suppose. And I just got a car. So I, at uh, that time, I kind of checked out of games for a few oh, years. yeah,
1: Who needs Gran Turismo when you've got an actual car? <laughs>
2: Yeah, kind of checked out of games to be honest. Um, for for a good few years, went to university and then came back and then luckily uh, managed to get a job in in games and kind of got back into it at that point.
0: You were there saying that the greatest PS One game of all time is Doom. Um, that's you know, <laughs> quite quite a good. Quite a good Zag, I think, as a take. goes. Yeah,
1: that's a, that's a hot that's a hot take for like a job interview on games media. You know,
2: <laughs> I can't I can't really remember having many other games on my PlayStation right uh, apart from Doom and like getting the demo disc again it was a lot through max
0: really but that's how you build a a really broad uh, sort of like gaming knowledge isn't it is uh, playing like mm. a you know 10 different games a month and then like years down the line when you're say making a podcast with someone who had nintendo games growing up it gives you loads and loads of references to draw upon so quite mm. useful um so yeah. the games media side neil what did you pay attention to growing up on on that side of things were you were uh, you know was there were there kind of different eras of mags you're into depending on what you're playing at the different times
2: i got the club nintendo magazine and sort of really coveted that Um, which I don't think was around for very long in the UK Mm -hmm. I I might be misremembering that and then I got into like you know CVG, uh, Mean Machines, Sega Nintendo Magazine System um, Edge a little bit yeah and then I I, I remember reading Sega Saturn Magazine and uh, you know I would pick up all the mags so I was reading Sega Saturn Magazine not having a Sega Saturn and uh, also (laughs) I'd read the Playstation mags having not uh, having a PlayStation but not actually having many games for it. So, uh, yeah, it was quite, quite an unusual um, hobby, I guess, mm. just reading the mags and not actually having that
0: many games. So what's your journey to O&M like? You arrived from outside the future gaming ecosystem. So what did your career look like before you were hired by O&M?
2: I, I, got, a, I got a degree and then I did some bleak um, temp jobs, <laughs> one of which it was like data entry around um which public buildings have asbestos in them <laughs> um which was yeah just unbearably bleak um, and then uh i saw a job in my local newspaper for a games reviewer uh and it was for um special reserve so i don't know if you remember this but special reserve was like a, a mail order games catalog kind of thing and they would take out like Spreads in all the games mags in the nineties. So it would be like a big list of games. You I don't know if you remember this stuff, but it would be a big list of games, and then like a crude drawing of like a Lara Croft type character. Oh god, I remember and those
1: adverts. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember those? Yeah. And
2: they were just sort of A to Z listings of games, right? And and that was that was a retailer, a mail order retailer that was um, in a in a village called Sawbridgeworth near where I live, right? In. So I and they they advertised the role on there like. There you you would join as a subscriber and you'd get the magazine every month. I applied for that job and the 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 job interview was like a quick chat and then it was right. You've got twenty minutes to write a review of a game and um, I wrote a review of uh, uh, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater or something mm. and um, and I got the job and then uh, I I was I wasn't there for very long. Um, it was like six months maybe and then again in the, in my local in the hot games media atmosphere of uh, Hertfordshire. (laughs) So this is like, Sawbridgeworth is in sort of east of Hertfordshire. Hertford is where MCV is based. Um, And where I grew up, yeah, there was a job ad in the local paper for an editorial assistant at MCV. So I applied for that and and got the job based on my experience in uh, Special Reserve. And then fairly quickly ran a news story at MCV about the uh, closure of Special Reserve. Oh, (laughs) Which is going bust uh, Just as I left Yeah that's not around anymore But um, I think they're they're, They had forums and stuff They were fairly early on In like Online retail Right And they got absolutely crushed By like Play.com and Amazon Right Yeah, Um, MCV I was there for a couple of months And then the editor And then the deputy editor All left So in the sort of uh, in the absence of uh, anyone competent, I kind of took the reins of the mag after a little while and I was editing it. And then through MCV, I met some people at Future, management people at Future. And then I was off- offered a job there after after a few years. The interview process was um, four pints in Tiger Tiger uh, <laughs> right. in, in central London. <laughs> Classic. Uh, yeah. Um, and, and, and that interview was, you've got the job, here's what you need to do in that job. Yeah, the, and then I started probably October, late October 2008. Right.
1: I can remember you coming to ONM because a lot of people got sort of like promoted from like within and would kind of climb up the ranks. That was often like the magazine sort of structure, certainly a future. So I can remember you just sort of turning up one day and it being, you know, on the
2: page and being like, oh, who's this? This is someone new. I do wonder, like, did you think
1: who the fuck is this guy uh, <laughs> uh no, a little, like, like, because obviously you know i've been on in gamer for like
2: and why feature hired him
1: <laughs> no not 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 necessarily that but you know you when you're on a mag for a bit and you're thinking about like oh, when will i ever get promoted or like what would promotion look like for me what would my you know path be and then i mean i think we're pretty close in age you and i yeah oh here's this young guy it was, like, editing O&M, and I was still a staff writer in 2008, I think. I think that was probably the first time it ever occurred to me, like, oh, do I need to be trying to do more? Is is my career progression quite slow? The answer is yes, it was, um, <laughs> because I wasn't very sort of forceful in that. So, yeah, on a purely selfish level, it kind of, sort of woke those thoughts up, I guess. Yeah,
0: but, like, um, hadn't at that point O&M already had... Uh some people come from the outside like was one of the previous editors also someone from imagine i think that happened didn't it
1: oh yeah but but like chandra that so chandra had been on cube and he was but he was from like nintendo magazine sort of like right ecosystem i guess you know it it wasn't like a you know it was like oh i get it you know this this is a person who is known to make nintendo mags Hmm. and obviously neil like because you'd been doing like b2b stuff i hadn't seen you in cube and apologies, I wasn't subscribed <laughs> to Special Reserve.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I don't think many people were. To be fair. Yeah, um, yeah. I, 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 don't know. I don't know what future was thinking, but there I was. Um, and uh, <laughs> uh, there, yeah. I mean, they, it's a very unusual time. I don't, I don't really know what the motivation was there. I they offered, they offered me the PC Zone job first. Oh, um, really? Right. And then I. Uh, I said, um, I don't, um, I don't own a PC and, um, never have. Right. So, uh, pr- probably would have had You have played Doom like
1: a seminal PC text. <laughs>
3: yeah. Yeah. I mean, I
2: could, I could probably blag about, uh, you know, half a conversation about PC gaming at that point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, so I don't know what's going on at the future at that time. Uh, financial crash. I don't know. Mm. Um, uh, but yeah, um, they chose me, so um, I, I think I had a, you know, I had a good relationship with the Nintendo people um, from my time at MCV. Because, oh, of course, yeah, you know, the Wii and Wii and DS were just like an absolute phenomenon, mm. and um, they they won. Like MCV had a, these annual awards, and Nintendo just like cleaned up like mm. two two or three years in a row. As an industry publication, we were big like champions of that. Mm, mm. There's a bit of crossover there, and I, you know, I got on with all the Nintendo guys, and um... that
1: actually like tracks perfectly because I can remember when I joined o&m You know, part of the conversation was you're already known to Nintendo, and with the big platform holders, with the official mags, if we can have someone who they kind of aware of that doesn't like scare them too much, it's a bit easier. So like they literally got Chandra and me. You know we came in after you i can completely understand why they'd be like oh we know neil from mcv yeah, that makes sense
0: so we're going to revisit uh onm uh more in section two where we've got some quite granular stuff to talk about from your time running the mag but i suppose like to sort of skip ahead to the end of your time on M, like what sort of led to you leaving uh leaving or moving on neil what happened after that because i know you stayed within the future ecosystem so uh, is there anything you can say about um what happened at that point <laughs>
2: yeah we just had the like disaster e3 of the wii u reveal which we were there for together matthew right I yeah we, we were
1: there were... together yeah in uh, 2011 when 2011? they first talked
2: about the wii u yeah that's right yeah and we were and i remember like we had uh gav on uh, gav murphy now famous internet man yeah who, who was doing nintendo tv at the time and uh, we were doing these videos from the show floor and stuff. Anyway, it was fair to say Nintendo was in pretty rough shape. <laughs> uh, and um, the the editor of CVG left, and then they offered me the job of that. The person who offered it to me had previously boasted to me about how clever they were in moving people onto dying magazines. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so getting yikes, a, getting a um, yeah. Getting a uh, job offer from him was like, <laughs> oh, right? Is they do I want to do I want to take this job uh, from from this guy? Right. Um, so so I so I didn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then um, six months later, obviously, rightly, uh, they gave Andy Robertson the job, uh, who now runs VGC. Mm. But I had applied after after six months of thinking about it and sort of feeling like O and M wasn't really. Going anywhere? I applied for CVG as well, and um, I think at that point Future were like, "We need to get this guy out of here." <laughs> and uh, oh, so, so one day they just sort of pulled me into an office and said, uh, "You've got, um, you've got a new job. You're now uh, the mobile guy at Future. So you're you're in charge of um, mobile games. Um, oh boy, at Future, and you're you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna like um, work out how to uh, sort of maximize the Huge opportunity of uh, mobile games, and I was like, okay, so, uh, who's gonna who's gonna run O and M? Um, and they were like, oh, don't worry about that. So like, they literally, you know, I just I was just moved into another bit of the office one day, and then um, <laughs> and then um, Steve, uh, my deputy editor at the time, uh, Steve Hogarty, uh, he quit uh, almost immediately as well, mm. and then um, and then. Uh, Well, you and Chandra were drafted in. Yeah. Um, So you guys came to the rescue, fortunately.
1: Yeah, that really came out of nowhere. You know, that was just a phone call from, from management... I wonder if it's the same management that said they like to move people onto dying brands. Um, but I, mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, mm-hmm. But I didn't. <laughs> uh, I didn't know that. Uh, and actually, O and M had you know a lot more life in it. It turned out than Nintendo Gamer, which was the kind yeah. of offer made to me, like leave Nintendo Gamer and come over to O and M because yeah, we. We now basically need the the two top people on the mag again. Um, so, yeah, Chandra was editor in chief, and I was associate editor.
2: It was quite quick. Uh, the way I remember it, yeah. it was just like that was. I think we were. I just put the last my well, last issue was uh, absolute bollocks. <laughs> um, <laughs> <Are you> good. <laughs> <laughs> we, I think, I think we had a cover. I think we had a cover fall through, and. Um, and we were just like, fucking hell! What? There was nothing coming out. I think we made up some shit about. Um, <laughs> it was like let the letterbox feature on the three on the three DS, right? Where you could like, fucking hell! God knows what it was. Um, but yeah, it was uh, <laughs> not not a not a not a brilliant end to my own um, uh, stint. Not not um, the not the but... issue.
1: You because you guys did an issue where it was. It was either like Letterbox or Flipnote Studio on the cover.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's it. That was it. Yeah.
1: And it was it was like a draw your own
2: cover. Yeah, draw your yeah. yeah that's right. Yeah.
1: Was that it? Well, uh, I thought that was a good
2: one. That was it. Oh,
1: that was a bad one.
2: <laughs> you thought that was a good cover. Well,
1: no, but c- c- you guys sold it as like a real coup that you were getting to do this. <laughs>
2: Did we? That's my memory know. of it. It was like desperate look at look times. at what a
1: dynamic, daring cover. <laughs> Rather than <laughs> yes, that oh is... shit, we haven't got anything, so we literally have to do a kind of notepad app on the three DS as our cover feature.
2: <laughs> yeah, well I th- I think that was that was the weird thing about I M. I don't know if you got it as well, but like the onus was always on O M to do something a bit odd, do something a bit un-, un unusual with its covers. Right. Because it was always in a bag, right? There wasn't you weren't selling the cover on the magazine stand, mm. it was always packaged up. So you could put, you could always put Mario, Link and Pikachu on your packaging. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, and not not really, and do something quite wacky with the cover, mm. um, which is quite, which is good and good and bad in, in lots of ways. So that's why we did like lots of sort of quite odd uh, mm. covers like that, which was, I, I, it was Nintendo, it was part of Nintendo's thing at the time was like being different and thinking differently to to brown shooter land uh on on Xbox 360 at the time um I just stuck key yeah, art on that... the
1: title when it when that's on the cover that's all I ever did it was like here's some Maricard key art here's same. some Maricard key art but zoomed in slightly more <laughs> so you can, can't see that it's the same art that was that was yeah. my cover mo
2: <laughs> yeah the, the tra- trawling of the Nintendo artwork archives right uh, on, on, a, on a monthly basis was always a fun yeah uh, always a fun <laughs> thing wasn't it but yeah, that was, uh, that was my brilliant finale to my uh, spell as O and M editor.
0: Well, if I had a finale like that, sorry, if I had a, you know an end result like that, where someone dragged me into a room and said, "You're doing this now." Uh, I would absolutely uh, shit my pants as hard as possible so uh, (laughs) like I think what what do I owe you now I owe you nothing so here's my worst work so I think that's pretty much fair um so mobile gaming coverage Neil do you want to talk a bit about that like um I suppose like for mobile gaming generally it's a slight blind spot for us um so we have like kind of punter level knowledge does covering that scene differ Uh, much from console coverage. I'm guessing the answer is yes, but how does it differ?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's completely different. It's, um, you know, completely different platform holders, um, Apple and Google, um, completely different developers, uh, completely different uh, businesses, uh, the way they work. And, you know, they're all, all the the successful ones are all like live service games, free-to-play games, um, you know, premium games, are effectively dead on mobile mm. um, uh, but they do that they've sort of moved into Apple Arcade and increasingly now Netflix so Netflix does games now mm. and they've got actually a really good selection of games in the the iPhone and the Android app that you can just play for free mm. um, if you've got a subscription so they' Yeah, the sort of premium type games like you know, like Monument Valley or Enter the Breach is on Netflix. Uh, Point P is really good on Netflix. There's loads of stuff on Apple Arcade, but yeah, all of that sort of microtransaction in-app purchase free stuff is now now lives there. Mm. And and mobile is this um, still kind of slightly wild west type market where um, basically lo- loads of game developers all around the world are like trying to figure out how to get the attention of people who are, aren't traditional gamers. So, like, probably the listeners to this podcast are, are, are probably... And, you know, a lot of people in the industry view mobile as this sort of blight on the <laughs> on the culture of games. Right. Um, which is kind of annoying when you work in it. Um, but, like, yeah, it's just a different industry and it needs to be sort of understood in a different way. And actually because it's a different industry and it, it really moves a lot fast like with console and PC with console in particular obviously you get generations of mm. console and things move in every sort of five or six year sort of periods but with mobile like it changes every year if not every six months mm. and um, a lot of the things that happen in mobile um, end up happening in console games so like all of the live service and events and um, ways that game developers keep you playing a game not all of them but the vast majority kind of came from mobile because the the game the game in mobile is is making sure that game is your like digital hobby that you lean on yeah when you're when you're commuting or you're like lying in bed or whatever versus uh versus console which is just a whole different game so
1: do you see like these trends emerge and then you know, basically chuckle as you see a tidal wave of shit heading towards consoles, sort of down the line.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm probably unusual in that I don't find paying for things through microtransactions offensive or... Right. If i have been playing Merge Mansion for, like, three months straight...
1: What the fuck is Merge
2: Mansion? <laughs> <laughs> it's a game where you merge stuff, and... Um, you like you renovate a mansion right um, <laughs> I, t- I told you it was unfashionable stuff um but it's incredibly compelling like uh, really play it every time every night before you go to bed kind of stuff right like after two or three months of playing that game non-stop or you know once a day for for a little while i don't really begrudge giving that game developer a few quid mm. to you know, pay for my pay for my time. You know, so uh, it's it's just a different, completely different mindset, and you know, uh, very misunderstood in lots of ways by um, particularly console gamers and, and PC yeah, gamers. Yeah, us. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the the prime example of that is it's Diablo Immortal over the last six months, which um, is an incredibly good and generous game. But almost because it's on mobile people are just fucking angry about it and mm. it's quite interesting to watch you know the the Ferrari around that game is about how it's monetized right and mm. um if you ask anyone in the mobile industry they will tell you that that game does not uh monetize well enough like it doesn't it's not aggressive enough right uh, <laughs> you know it like there are there are it's it's incredibly generous you have to get like hours and hours and hours into it and you have to really want to top the leaderboards to really spend right a substantial amount of money in it and um but I don't know it's just like angry dudes um on the internet see it's a mobile game so they just mm. get they get upset
0: so when it comes to your career at future after ONM so you you end up at Edge Online. What's your journey like after O and M shuts, and and how do you end up on Edge Online from there? So
2: after I'm like mobile guy for a bit, I do a um, an iPad, a digital only iPad magazine called iGamer, right. um, which uh, which no one no one downloaded. But at the time, um, like I don't know if you remember this, but in, this is like 2012, and um, T3 magazine was making. The rumour the rumor at Future was that it was making a million quid a month out of its digital edition really um, on, on, on the iPad, right? <laughs> Which sounds like bullshit now. but it, <laughs> Definitely it, not true. Definitely not true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. I think they were selling it for like loads of money. Right. Uh, and I, you may have been around for this, but there was loads of... Suddenly, Future was like, fuck, there's loads of money on iPads. And they put a load of people on iPad right. stuff like to make money through Apple Newsstand. And um, I was one of them. And so, yeah, I, I sort of inherited this thing called iGamer, which was like a spin-off of one of the Mac magazines uh, run out of Bath. Over over time, I kind of redesigned it and made it... It was like this sort of templated app thing that I could just flow copy into and, and put images into, and it was a magazine. Mm. We sold that, like, for three or four months and then uh no one bought it and then the edge the edge edge online job came up um and during that time i was like the mobile guy so i was writing a uh column about mobile for edge online and i was writing a blog for cvg about mobile stuff (laughs) and i was i was running a a live blog about the curiosity cube oh was that you yeah that, that was me yeah um Fucking insane! If you think about it,
1: just remind people who may have forgotten what that is.
2: The Curiosity Cube was a Peter Molyneux, um, uh, idea where it was like uh, you downloaded it on your iPhone or your iPad and you tapped away. The more people that tapped on it, the more layers would uh, disintegrate away from the cube, and the inside, in the center of the cube, there was a big secret. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so everyone was, like, working together to get to this secret. It was actually a massive, like, massive thing at the time. Yeah, it, It's kind of a bit of a joke now. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I ran a live blog, like, because there was something <laughs> weird happening uh, on the Curiosity Cube every day. Uh, like, there was, you know, the, and it was incredibly buggy and unstable as well. So i right. would fall over all the time. <laughs> and then Peter Molyneux was reading the blog and he'd just like call me up, and we'd talk about the cube for a bit, and then I'd uh, uh, <laughs> and, uh, I'd post that on the on the live blog, and um, yeah, there you go. That, <laughs> that's what I was D- doing. Did you follow it all um, the way?
1: Because I, I I thought interest dropped off, and then one day I remember reading like someone's got to the center of the cube. Did you follow it
3: all
2: yeah. the way
1: to the bitter end?
2: No, that that's the thing. I got the edge job, and then I was like, fuck this. <laughs> I <thought the> cube. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah the cube uh so yeah I, d- I did i i did the edge website instead um, <laughs> that's fair
0: i feel like I feel like there probably have been more offensive things that have happened in the time since the cube, but people were so mad at the time um about Molyneux and the cube, and like is that worse than influencers selling energy drinks like for example like I feel like the landscape of games industry bullshit is now like so toxic. That a slightly overblown game about tapping a cube to get to the center um, for something life-changing that turns out not to be is not that egregious on the grand no. scale of like horseshit that's happened in the last <laughs> decade or so. Yeah. So yeah, but I, I do also sympathise with get me the fuck off of here um, or get me onto Edge. So
2: I, I think they fucked the, the landing. You know, yeah. it would have been really cool if there was something genuinely good in the middle of the cube and it ended like. Within a month, but it just went on forever, and people just stopped caring.
0: Mm. So yeah, yeah, sad times. So Edge Online, what's what's that like, and what was the relationship like between the the site and the mag, and sort of how do you uh, work in harmony together, um, or not, as the case may be?
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I remember getting the job uh, from from Nathan Brown, who um, moved on to the magazine at the time, and then almost immediately. The other person on edge online who's um, uh, Ben who's now um, he he moved on to the magazine as well um, uh, so it's kind of just like here's here's a website run run the website please mm. and I was running it from London as well so I, I never I never lived in bath or um, unlike um, like you chaps it was quite separate really um, even though I got I got these sort of keys to the edge vault and I posted a load of stuff from the magazine every month and I I wrote some stuff for the magazine I I did various things bits and bobs for the mag Um, it was quite separate and I I remember going down uh, first couple of weeks of the job I went down to Bath for like online an online strategy day so I met the edge team the mag team for the first time really and um, it was just at the time I think Polygon had either just launched or was about to launch and it was just like these guys have spent millions on this website. Mm. And, uh, we were kind of sat around in this meeting going, uh, well, edge online should be polygon. Uh, you know, it should look like, you know, it should look as good as that and it should have as much resource as that. And it should be as high profile as that. But actually it's just, it's just this one guy in London running it. Mm. <laughs> so, I don't think we had from there. It was like didn't have much chance of uh, making too much of an impact. But I I really enjoyed running that site because you know, like I say, you got the the keys to the Edge Vault. You got the mag every month and all the previews and reviews and news and stuff in there. And I was kind, I would kind of eke that stuff out over the month while also sort of covering news myself and doing my own features and and interviews and stuff Mm. um it was brilliant i I really enjoyed it and it was also at the time i was i was on a bank of desks in future london um just sort of shoved on the end of the official xbox magazine team yeah and um it was right at the time where like xbox one was being completely fucked up (laughs) and edge (laughs) was like edge did that cover of this is your next console do you remember that with the ps4 on it Yeah. yeah um and um yeah, it was quite entertaining to sit on the OXM team with John <laughs> and, and the gang uh, and sort of watch them <laughs> watch them watching horror as Microsoft kind of fucked the Xbox One launch uh, mm. that year. Um, it's, uh, you got you got to get out of bed for something in the morning, haven't you? And, uh, seeing, seeing that team kind of go through the ringer was actually quite entertaining <laughs> <it>. <laughs> in a in a tragic sort of way. I mean, you could um, have,
1: like, turned your head left and seen them and turned your head right and seen O&M, you know, struggling with Wii U. So oh, it must yeah. have just been, yeah. like, laughs all round for you.
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was fun times at Future London. 2014, what a year.
0: <laughs> well, we, we finally found the person who won out of the Xbox One launch. That's uh, <laughs> that's good. Well, Puff Sony, <laughs> of course. Um, so that's good. I, I always thought that Edge Online being... And I suppose, like, I'm asking here, like, where do things go from here, Neil? Because this is around the time that I meet you on a GDC trip. But, like, Mm. I always thought Edge Online actually had loads of potential to be bigger than it was. It's such a great brand and such a prestigious and well-respected brand that it is interesting that it's kind of, like, locked to a sort of print product. But I was curious what you made of, like, the unexplored potential of it, I suppose, and, like, how how it kind of ended up in the future 2014 apocalypse that happened
2: yeah it's it's a real shame we we were making huge progress you know there was loads of people read the site and engaged with it we broke some really big stories and i interviewed ken levine and phil spencer and and phil harrison and this is all i would have to do a lot of it off my own back sort of leaning on some of the mad guys as well but yeah it was it was yeah it was a brilliant time to be, Because it was like console launch year as well, 2013, 2014. Mm. It was a really like, enjoyable time to work on Edge. Uh, it's just a shame. Yeah, I think I was one of the first out in the big future London cull of 2014. So yeah, again, I was pulled into a, a room and told uh, by, by management. Was it the uh,
1: same uh, room? My, uh,
2: I think it might have been. It was definitely the same HR person. Yeah. So it's like, oh, you again. Nice. Um <laughs> Yeah, I was pulled into a room and told uh, my job w- won't exist in three months. But luckily, yeah, I had some, some other things lined up. I, I very nearly worked for Gamer Network. I was going to start on the Monday after I left Future doing, um, not not like an, as an editor on Eurogamer, but uh, elsewhere within the business. Uh, I, I was also involved in an Apple recruitment process at the time. And, and on my last day at Future, Apple rang and said, um, we're going to offer you the job of... Uh, App Store editor, and um, so I took that, and um, the iGamer years in the wilderness um, actually sorted me out with a uh, Apple job. So that was uh, it ended up okay. Nice, yeah,
0: yeah you don't say. <laughs> um, it's funny because I I applied for Apple a couple of times, and um, I never <laughs> I never applied with because they make you sign in using your Apple ID on their job website, which I think is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And my Apple ID is tied to what i would say is a very embarrassing uh 2004 era msn email address so i created i created a new one um in order to apply for this job and i think they looked at it and thought this guy hasn't bought any apple products there's no way we're hiring him and then never even responded to my application and so yeah. um yeah i i find that i just found that very irritating but maybe with you they looked at you and thought oh look at this guy he's bought you know, 19 seasons of a TV show or whatever. Um, but anyway, just sharing my experience of Apple there. But uh, yeah. Um, so what is it? what was it like at Apple then? Is I suppose like there are definitely, I'm sure inner workings things you can't talk about, um, very secretive company. But what can you talk about of that time, Neil?
2: I was the editor for sort of game section in Europe. So I was the, basically back then there was a, um, the store would update like once a week and there would be an editor's choice game. And there would be uh, like a section called New Games or Hot New Games. I can't remember what it was. It would would change every week. And um, so once a week, I would would play uh, the games coming out that Thursday. And then I would just like put them in order of quality, basically. And then they would get featured um, on the App Store for that week across Europe. And then I would have to like write little taglines and other bits and bobs. And then get those localized and put them elsewhere on the store for like French, German, Italian, mm. Spanish, etc. Um, customers. And then um, yeah, so that was it initially. And then they launched app stores on on all the things. So the, the Apple there was an app store in the Apple Watch at launch. Well, there still is. But um, I was sort of loosely involved in the launch of that the app store on the on the watch. Uh, and then there. They have an Apple TV device, which is like a puck that sits under your TV. I've got one. Uh, there's an app. Oh, you've got one? Okay, yeah. yeah. So I sort of have to explain it because not many people do have one, but they are good. Yeah, there's, so there's an app store on that. Uh, I was sort of loosely involved in the launch of that. And then um, they've redesigned the whole app store um, in whenever it was, 2017, 2018. And there was like actual editorial content on there. So as a sort of former journalist, I was writing a lot of the articles on the, on the App Store for that launch. And then, uh, so like when you, when you go on the Today tab of the App Store, there's like um, Game of the Day and, and lists and bits mm. and props. So I, I was writing some of that, um, mostly of the game stuff. And then, uh, again, again, sort of loosely involved in uh, the launch of Apple Arcade in whenever that was, 2018, 2019. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, just wanted to do something different. Um, so... I set up mobilegamer.biz.
1: That's like quite like an awesome amount of power to like anoint something in Editor's Choice because it kind of puts it like front and center. Was there like pressure yeah. involved with that, or like were you like super aware that you know that could sort of like make a game in a way?
2: Yeah, you had to be careful what uh, what to make Editor's Choice and make sure it was like suitable for Apple as a like brand, um, right? So you wouldn't you wouldn't make like some Horrific, uh, violent game. Apple uh, editor's right. choice because it's just like not what Apple does. Yeah. Um, so that, yeah, there was there was some elements to it, and then, but you were sort of trusted to make the choice and and uh, just say like this is the best game of the week, and we're going to give it editor's choice. And there was a bit of debate. Like you know, I would talk it through with my with the people in in Cupertino in headquarters. We'd also decide um, the game of the year as well. So right. The year I joined was um, threes. Do you remember that? Yeah, it's like yeah, a, yeah. A puzzle game and uh, Monument Valley on iPad. Um, so it's a really good year for mobile. And um, later on, you'd be involved in um, launching games as well. So you'd you would be responsible for making a a, a big sort of uh, impact on the store with with like new games from like Supercell or King or the, you know the new right. Candy Crush or whatever. So yeah, it's it's a really Really good, uh, fun job, and and something you know completely different from journalism. And um, you know, you learn a lot about how big companies work, big American companies in particular. Mm. And unusual kind of job in many ways, but, uh, because you were completely anonymous. Like I wasn't allowed to sit in, even well, for the first couple of years, I was allowed to sit in meetings or meet any game developers in case it, uh, like, influenced my decision or like (laughs) they they bribed me or something like
1: if if, if there was separation of church and state like that that's interesting
2: yeah there was yeah i it at the the time there was and, and um because it would make like if you if you did make uh like a small indie game editor's choice that would it would be like you you would make that game it would be a hit yeah so yeah it was it was it was great you know and i would i would sneak in all kinds of weird uh indie bullshit that no one really (laughs) no like the the sort of hyper mainstream apple customer probably played a lot of that weird indie stuff that i featured and thought what the
0: fuck is this but um i had a good time so you know that's cool it does sound like a cool job to be honest like um I, i definitely sort of like think that the apple store when i was using apple devices regularly benefited from that level of curation it felt like it was localized curation too like i was looking at like a uk version of a page on the different um on the app store so i think that was valuable work for sure so um as someone who would probably never return to games media at this point i'm really curious to know why (laughs) you you have and set up your own business like you say mobile gamer.biz um we're always interested in what journos do next. So, so why was this the next step for you? Why do you want to sort of get involved in, in this side of things again?
2: Mobile's very unfashionable and no one really wants to report on it. Right. <laughs> so um, it's, it's almost like, it's, it's like wildly underserved in terms of media coverage. What Apple and Netflix do in games is really significant and um, no one really seems to be writing about it. All that time I spent at Apple, I was thinking, why isn't there really a really good website doing the reporting on this? And um, yeah, after a long time, I just thought I'd do it myself. Um, So, (laughs) so here I am. Yeah, (laughs) it's almost a year old now. Um, Getting some traction. It's 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 going okay. Google started noticing my website a couple of months ago, so that's good. Oh, nice. Um, Mobile game developers are. Are into it? Um, it's yeah, it's going well so far. Um, just need to kind of um, pay the bills, get some sponsors in. I do some freelance work. I've been doing bits for VGC, and I was doing a, a column for a website called I More about about mm-hmm. mobile games. Um, so, uh, and I do like consultancy as well. So, like right. mobile mobile game developers who uh, need a bit of help launching their game, I um, I help a couple of them as well. So, a bit of everything. Um, mm. But it's really enjoyable and very, very different from uh, slogging away in big tech, which is is great for lots of people, but not not for me.
0: Okay, right. that's fair enough. I suppose, like, because I I do want you to be able to, like, uh, you know, ply your trade, near Where how can people contact you if they're interested in sort of, you know. Teaming up, etc. Not saying that we've got like any particular pull or anything, but you know, it might be some, might be some, might be some good contacts out there. So, how can people get a hold of you?
2: Well, if anyone wants a good mobile games column or someone to write about mobile games, because um, like I say, there's not many people who actually know about this stuff. Um, yeah, I am on uh, Neil at mobilegamer.biz is my email, and uh, I'm on Twitter at uh, Neil underscore Long underscore
0: <laughs>
1: oh, there's underscore.
0: Oh. <laughs> Sorry I was waiting for the rest of that, but yeah, that is the yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. No, that is it. Okay, yeah.
1: good. No, no I'll that oh, someone's no, already he's... sitting on Neil underscore long, are they?
2: Yeah, some fucker. I think there's it. a there's an ex capital radio DJ called Neil Long,
0: I think he's got it well okay that's a good trivia there about um yeah British radio DJs so um yeah yeah, well congratulations on getting on the Google ladder anyway now you can be subject to their fucking made-up SEO rules uh, which um, change every month and uh, make no sense you have all that to look forward to from a tech giant um, but I am pleased that you're making progress Neil that's cool um, <laughs> so uh, shall we take a quick break there and then come back and talk about some Nintendo mag stuff we've got plenty more to get into so that should be good sounds good back to the podcast so in this section we're going to talk all about neil's time running official nintendo magazine we've talked a bit about how it began and how it ended now it's all the bits in between i suppose like neil to start with we we did touch on this but uh, all three of us have done the thing where you're an outsider joining uh a team that you don't have that prior experience with them certainly on piece of gamer i found it quite intimidating to do that and there's an element of maybe a couple of people um feel like you need to prove yourself a little bit in order to kind of win them over so um what was that the version of that like on o&m like when you sort of started and we're getting the lay of the land like what was the process like of getting the teams you know buy-in i suppose
2: yeah well, there was an awkward couple of weeks where uh uh chandra my predecessor was was still there so i was like <laughs> <Yikes>. <laughs> i was sat on this like other bank of desks just sort of waiting for him to leave oh. um like as yeah it's pretty awkward um but then um <laughs> and then i took over it was just too it was too intense to really get to know anyone because it was the end of october right and you're into like cr- mag crunch seasons and so we had to get, I think it was two issues out before Christmas, plus also O&M at the time had a Wii special and a DS special, which were like whole separate magazines, mm. um, which were like sort of repurposed content from old issues of O&M. Yeah, in my first sort of couple of months, it was sort of almost too intense to really get to know anyone. It was just like, head down and get the get the fucking magazines out. Um <laughs> But yeah, it was, it was, I mean, Martin Mathers, who was deputy editor when I joined, I think he left pretty quickly after I joined to move back down to Bournemouth. Um, So we were like immediately one man down. And uh, (laughs) one of my, one of my first sort of acts as O&M editor was writing an apology letter uh, to subscribers because there had been some fuck up with the gift that month, right? They hadn't ordered enough uh, of this. It was like this quite nice little tin with Mario characters on it, right? Uh, which would be ideal for storing weed in, basically. Um, <laughs> as
1: most of the O and M readers would have.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, the o, and, o and M readers loved uh, blazing it up, didn't they? Um, as you know, Matthew. But uh, yeah, I, I, for whatever reason, they, there was some colossal fuck up in the gifts department. And, um, so it, subscribers didn't get that tin, basically. Yeah. Um, so your, your most loyal readers, almost the first thing I did at o was like writing this letter that would only go to subscribers saying, Hey, loyal reader, we fucked up. Uh, there's no tin this month. Um, but I, I can't remember what we offered instead. I think we just put out some fucking like posters or something. Some absolute bullshit. Um... <laughs> That was a fun introduction uh, <laughs> to the world of uh, future publishing. and We had loads of mags to put out before Christmas. I remember being in the office on Christmas Eve, signing pages out um, with like a raging hangover and the production person just standing over my shoulder while I signed out these Wii and DS specials. Quite a baptism of fire. It, uh, but yeah, the team is great. You know, Chris Gullion, absolute legend, um, who I'm sure uh, listens to this podcast will know and and you know matthew obviously but he was like the sort of heart of the mag really he would write an incredible amount every month Mm. and his knowledge is like unsurpassed he's literally you know (laughs) literally writes encyclopedias now about um (laughs) about nintendo and 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 and, and other platforms. Um, and, yeah, there's some g- great people on that team. Who did you... You worked with Dale, didn't you, the, the art editor? Yeah,
1: I, 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 um, Dale and Will were two art editors who um, right. I feel like took t- took them a while to kind of click with me. Like, they were just winding me up the whole time. Um, <laughs> gave me, like, an endless succession of nicknames. Both yeah. real kind of, like, sort of funny, like, London lads. Right, And yeah. You know, coming from Bath and being like a bit kind of prissy and posh, I think I was just like couldn't have painted a bigger target myself if I tried.
2: <laughs> when I started, it was Chris, uh, a guy called Chris Borgman, who moved. He moved down to Bath, and then um, within about six months of me starting, and then so I'm am really like clearly making an impact with all the <laughs> departures. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, we hired Dale, and um, yeah, Dale and I ran that mag for the longest uh, period. Of, he's an incredibly talented man very low-key but just really really good at his job well both of you probably know that the art teams are real the real sort of heroes on those Macs, aren't they so mm. um it was good to i think you know dale and i got on really well and or i, I think so anyway who hired gav murphy on to work on nintendo tv and um and steve Hoggerty as well after a while and we had quite a good thing going there around the 3ds years because we redesigned the mag around that time as well. So, yeah, it was it was a great time.
0: I was curious, mm. what, what was your perception of O&M before joining it? Did anything about the reality of running it surprise you? And um, I will say, actually, like, as someone who was sort of on the outside, I did find o and a bit dry in, like, 07 time when I first joined Imagine. They seemed like the design of the mag was very much tied to the old like we ds you know white everything kind of screens and stuff and i felt like the design of the mag mimicked that but like weirdly i went for the deputy editor job the same time matthew did on onm um i was like what was, i was interviewed for it by chandra and tim clark um and i missed out obviously but i, I was reading like um you know issues from your time and i felt like it had quite a lot of personality to it and i helped that you obviously had steve on on team and like you know some good, really good writers but it felt like it actually quite had, was kind of humming with life in its own way so what was it like when you joined and you know how where did you kind of take it from there
2: yeah to be honest i th- i kind of thought the same i just wanted to give a put more gags in it really and make it a bit more human i like the first couple of years of OnM was really though some of the covers were great like they had those incredibly sort of clean white covers and the they would always involve the Wii remote doing something. Do you remember these ones? They were like oh, I remember they did one where so they, they
1: had like a, a render of a Wii remote playing tennis or something. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, that was one of the, maybe one of the less successful ones. <laughs> 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 there was a, there was some great ones where like they did an Excite Truck cover, I think, and it was a Wii remote that had like been run over and it had just like tire tracks. And I thought it was it was really different and unique at the time. But the yeah, the mag itself in, internally was like. Well, and the covers were, were very white and very minimal and maybe not uh, very human. You know, you're kind of constantly redesigning, s- slowly redesigning the mag anyway, month on month. Or well, I find myself doing that, doing that anyway. So I would just like put in more, you know, like a joke back page and some like sort of quirky features to like balance out the the sort of quite templated previews and reviews sections. And I think that the art teams enjoyed that a bit more as well because they could go kind of a bit crazy with the features while Mm. also sort of cranking out the more templated stuff. So, yeah, I I don't know. Yeah, I I tried to put in more gags. And it also helped that um, there was a studio downstairs in, in Future London which was just free to use. So you could just do a photo shoot for one afternoon just like... I don't know make up some dumb reason to especially when uh the uh, motion plus thing came out we would have to do these like pictures of us waggling remotes a lot um <laughs> right. so like the, the the team itself was a lot more sort of present in the mag mm. uh after after a while um so yeah i think that's how we did it and then uh, because The mag is like, it's always hidden behind some packaging on the the newsstand. You could kind of go a bit crazy with the covers as well. So they would always, and Nintendo were always pushing us to do something um, unusual with the cover or something sort of quirky. Mm. So we had quite a lot of, there was a lot of pressure to do that, but also made you sort of do more unusual things than just put some, put some art on, you know, put some key art on the cover and, I'd like to call it a day, but <laughs> but, uh, but enough yeah. about enough I, about Matthew's time. <laughs> <never seen> <laughs> I
0: feel incredibly seen.
2: Uh, that was, that wasn't like some some elaborate way of throwing shade at you.
0: Right? Play yeah, really play the long game on that one. Uh, yeah. <laughs>
1: From the outside, specifically on End Gamer, I used to think, oh well, and them they have it easy, you know. Like it felt like we were often eating like the official mags kind of like leftovers a bit and end game was certainly like more ramshackle and kind of sort of pieced together from whatever we could kind of get our hands on i like i know for a fact that no magazine is easy to make and every magazine has its challenges but like did it feel like o&m you know kind of had the, the sort of ear of nintendo did you feel like there were there were like benefits to it being official
2: they were really good about reviews so we would always get like the we did the world first review of um, Galaxy Two and Skyward Sword, spirit tracks and probably some others. Other M, I think we had the first Ooh. first review of that. <laughs> um, With maybe maybe less prestigious, but you know, <laughs> it was fun at the time. Yeah, they were really good about reviews. They would just say, "Yeah, when's your mad coming out?" Okay, fine. And they were we they would they would make sure that we somehow got the world's first review, and then we'd go. We'd sort of tease that through the website um, and, and try and get people to buy the Mac that way. Um, sometimes successfully, sometimes not. And we got good interviews for whatever reason. Our Numa, the Zelda guy, because I think we had a run of Spirit Tracks and then Skyward Sword just kept getting delayed. Yeah. <laughs> so I ended up interviewing a Numa at least three times. Oh, possibly even four. jealous. <laughs> <laughs> but it was like, you know, these guys are. Incredibly well trained to give you exactly what they want to give you. You know, um, mm. the, my my main memory, like the memory of Anumo in particular, he was he kept he kept coming back to remaking Link to the Past, right? Again and again in these interviews. And my my theory on that is that they, Nintendo doesn't let these things happen like accidentally. Right. That is a deliberate thing that he kept mentioning. Uh, my, my sort of working theory on that is that a link to the what the what was the sort of semi remake oh, link 3DS. between worlds Link between worlds. I, I've got a theory that that is like that was a link to the past remake and then they just changed direction on it halfway through right um because that's that's what that game is right it's like it seemed it's like a semi remake but also with some new bits in that kind of don't fit the formula I don't know but um yeah that was uh, it was it was good you know we we got we got great access and and Nintendo really really helped us with with v- reviews and and also sort of like i say pushed us to do these weird extra like really elaborate packaging like and and, and covers and we did this uh, you know it's sort of Nintendo would would sort of pay for this stuff if we came up with a cool idea they would just like pay for it to happen right um, right so, like, we did, you know, when the 3DS came out, we did like a 3D lenticular cover. Oh yeah, um, yeah. And like Dale, um, the art editor, spent a really long time putting that together, and you know, it came out really nicely. So yeah, they were really sort of supportive, but also you knew kind of you knew kind of not to ask too much of them because, uh, like, it, for instance, they were they loved Edge Magazine, right? Mm. So. Often, Edge would get first dibs on a big interview. Us on O&M, we'd get Edge magazine, and they'd just be like, oh, Miyamoto's fucking talked to Edge. What's that about? And then you'd you'd call up Nintendo PR and just be like, what What happened there? You know, we're the official mag. But I guess they, you know, understandably, they know that as O&M, you're going to write about them every month anyway. Right. Uh, so a lot of the time when, when the real, like the big Miyamoto... Interviews came up, they would go to the Guardian or Edge or someone else. Um, yeah, yeah. Rather than RNM. But, like, they, that's not to say we were second choice. They were incredibly sort of generous and, and, and helpful at the time. Uh, and, you know, that, like, people in Japan at, at NTL were, were reading the mag and would send us notes on <laughs> things like the Pokemon on this page is not to scale or. Um, <laughs> You know, we got a note from Sakamoto once. We've commissioned this, like, here's uh, here's why you should play Super Metroid on on Virtual Console, and somehow Sakamoto had got hold of it, and he'd he sent us like a correction on something we'd said in the article, right? Um, and it was yeah, just like. You knew they were reading and it was it was great, but also sort of came with a lot of pressure as well.
0: Matthew, didn't you have a similar experience with Mr. Metroid? Uh no, I may
1: have repeated Neil's anecdote uh, all right, <laughs> to you okay. at some point. <laughs> okay, that that's a, that's a a legendarily cool example. We had it once where um we put we made some me's of people from Nintendo and Nintendo said, those aren't their official Mii's. Then they got them to send us their QR codes so we could put their official Mii's in the mag, the ones that they'd made. Nice. They were like, yeah. that isn't, like, Mr. Aguchi's me." <laughs> and we were like, all right. <laughs> so that's, that's about as juicy as it got with us.
0: <laughs> huh. Neil, I'm really curious, actually. What did you make of the side of Nintendo Matthew was working on? Did you, like, have any take on M-Gamer and Nintendo Gamer from, from your, your side on the official official way of things uh
2: yeah well our our interactions every month uh were like can you send me a house ad <laughs> so we'd you know we'd always advertise each other's uh, each other's mags right so i we, we'd have you know a spread on endgamer in onm every month and endgamer would have a spread on onm every uh, yeah. in their mag every month and um <laughs> yeah i mean the the that was really it. Like, I don't think there was really that much interaction, was there? Like, we'd have mm. we'd have to split certain opportunities and 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 things like that. But it, like, geography didn't help either. You know, we didn't really talk to each other that way. Yeah. Um, I remember a couple of times sending the house ad back and just saying, like, can you make this sort of less mental? It looks <laughs> insane. In, in, like, because there's so much. Endgame. whole thing was like here's fucking everything. was like, <laughs> like it was a, it was like a whole DPS of just insane, uh, big words and pictures and colours, and it sort of like was sort of too insane for O and M. Um, so I think I, <laughs> I think I quite rudely um, just asked uh, your art editor to tone down some of the house ads. But beyond that, <laughs> um, I think you know we you did some stuff for us, Matthew. I think we sent you on. Yeah, I t- Pokemon and a Dragon Quest trip. Yeah, they?
1: two of my best press trips ever were yeah for for O and yeah like the features belong to O and M, but I got to write about like any other bollocks I could sort of find for <laughs> Endgamer Gamer around the edges, um, which was a pretty good deal I thought.
2: Yeah, I kind I kind of I, I I'm glad you enjoyed those trips. Um, I, I kind of I also feel bad for Chris uh, Scullion. Like I, that's I kind of should have sent him on those trips because he's such a he was he was almost. T- he was almost too valuable to the magazine to send away for a week.
0: Right. <laughs> Worst <laughs> editor ever.
2: <laughs> I know. I know. It's just like, I, I kind of, uh, yeah. Yeah. Kind of I
1: mean, that. it's like sending me on a Pokemon trip is particularly perverse. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's I, like, I, what a fuck you, what a fuck you to like Chris, to the readership, probably to Nintendo. Great anecdote um, for this podcast, though, hey, Matthew. Let's face it.
2: <laughs> yeah. I'm, so, I'm sorry, Chris. I, like, that that's a big regret. <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed. I'm glad you
0: enjoyed your. Trips. Oh yeah, not uh, for me. I mean, that was that. Um, that was perfect. Um. <laughs> oh dear. Um. So curious, like how maybe things might have changed over time with um, Nintendo Neo as like the Wii U and 3ds come along. Like, does the mag become like less of a priority as the kind of Wii and DS eras sort of move on? How do things sort of change over time?
2: Yeah, the 3ds. There was a big lull uh, before the 3ds. That was quite rough. Mm. Um. We were really piecing it together at the time uh, and we'd like, we'd have to make up stuff. Not not, not literally make up fictional <laughs> right. things, but, but we'd do covers like, oh, it's 25 years of Mario or something like that, right. yeah, rather, yeah. Th- rather than a cover about a game. Yeah, that was pretty rough. And then there was kind of a changing of the guard at Nintendo as well, kind of around the 3DS launch. Everyone i knew from when i joined had left nintendo at that point yeah,
1: cause like the, basically the success of the wii and ds like made so many you could you could basically get any job if you were at nintendo during those yeah. years
2: and like a lot of those guys you know the, the people at nintendo uk they moved on to really uh, powerful uh, important things now um uh so they all moved on and yeah it was it was difficult um trying to sort of build a relationship with the new people with less games around and kind of just less goodwill towards Mm -hmm. nintendo in general the 3ds launch was pretty rough i think we put we put a good face on it um but like they um, i think they cut the price about six months through maybe even three months after it launched yeah
1: but um, gave us a load of uh, Game Boy Advance Virtual Console games. to Say sorry, so that was great, okay. great games, yeah. great
0: games. Yeah, real, real. <laughs> yeah. I, I was happy with that range, but yeah, but yeah. Things kind of went
2: a bit south at that point. Such a shame. Uh, they could have just released like a more powerful Wii with proper Wii remotes with motion plus built in, or like I don't know. They they just just don't release Wii U. It's just they've complete. They completely fucked it at that point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it, was, it was a real shame.
0: I suppose, like, um, on the sort of slightly jollier side, uh, Neil, obviously you interviewed a <laughs> so more so many times that you got bored of it by the end. It's like, <laughs> oh, stop talking about back in Link to the Past Remake, you are boring man. Um, like, uh, I suppose, like, aside from that, like, um, which other sort of, like, Nintendo big dogs did you get to interview um, yourself as as part of running o and I
2: interviewed Miyamoto very briefly. It was sort of angled around Steel Diver. Do you remember oh. that? <laughs> uh, um, so it was like, I had, I think I had 20 minutes, had to ask about Steel Diver, <laughs> but also try, you know, quickly move on from them and get some like proper, bi- proper stuff out of him.
1: That's a real like monkey paw moment, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean,
2: I, it's, <laughs> yeah. It was good. I mean, surreal meeting him and getting his, um, getting his, uh, street pass, uh, avatar guy. Oh, what, right. What yeah that is me. yeah. Um, fuck I forgot what a me was called. <laughs> <it>. <laughs> this is 10 year this is 10 years ago. So come on. Um yeah, no it was great. Miyamoto is really interesting and and kind of yeah, through a translator you don't get a great deal of um personality. But, you know, it's a it's a a box to tick. The the the, the, the weirder one was Kazumi the um, Galaxy Two director, mm. who it was E three, it must have been 20, 2010 20, 2009, ten twenty two thousand nine. Don't
1: know. Have to have been one of those.
2: It was pre pre Galaxy Two, and yeah. um, I uh, it was like the, the Thursday of E three. I was having a a, a you know a lion because it was an exhausting week, and there was nothing really going on on the Thursday. Uh, a lion being like nine o'clock, uh, yeah. um, but I, I got a call of. I got a call from Nintendo's PR saying Koizumi's suddenly available. He's got forty-five minutes, but he's he's only available if you get here in like half an hour. Oh. And um, and I was in in bed, uh, so, and you have to get like I had to get up and just like get myself together and, and get a taxi over to to the Nintendo um, stand and like get get through security and all this stuff. So I'm rushing in, and yeah, I got forty-five minutes with Koizumi uh, talking around. Uh, Galaxy 2 and and his sort of process and all of that. But it was all entirely sort of... I had to just wing the whole interview because oh. obviously I, had, I'd had, I didn't have any notes or anything. Like, I'd just been given the opportunity like half an hour before. That's but tough. Luck, luckily, it was all translated. So you've got time. <laughs> While the translator's translating, <laughs> right. Koizumi's speaking, and then the translator's translating again, you've got time to think up your next question. So I think I got away with it, um, and we got a good. I think we got a good, like six pager out of it in the in the issue. Yeah. Afterwards, um, oh. I'd love to tell you what was in in there in detail, but obviously, the fucking website doesn't exist anymore, and. Um, you don't I have don't a big really stack
1: have... of O and M's at home.
2: No, I don't actually. Oh wow! Um, okay. I I've got a few of them, but um, not not the ones with the. Not, not the ones of that era for some reason. I'm sure it exists somewhere on the internet. Um, but I was, yeah, I was pl- I'm pleased with that to meet him. He's a very cool guy.
1: He's he's high up my list of like, if I, because uh, I've sort of infamously met no one from Nintendo um, <laughs> in all my years of doing it, which was like wild. Actually, I tell a lie, I met, I did meet Aguchi once in a similar circumstance doing an interview for Edge. And it was E three twenty twelve, so they just announced Nintendo Land. So it was about Nintendo Land, and it was kind of like I had to cobble that together, and I had no idea what I was going to ask him. But um, um, well,
0: you say no, no, the the sort of bigwigs, Matthew, but you have interviewed uh, Charles Martinet, you met Charles Martinet. That's like yeah, don't leave that out of your uh, recollections. Yeah, you know? that's
1: like that doesn't that doesn't count. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, um, we we
2: did a video with him. Uh, <laughs> With uh, Charles Martinet around the launch of new Super Mario Brothers Wii, which was the four-player one. Do you remember yeah, that? yeah. And um, he was quite friendly with Nintendo UK, so he was always in the UK uh, for some reason. Um, <laughs> and so he came to the O and M offices, and uh, we we did a fit, We were like, "Oh, it'll be funny. We've got this. We've got this four-player game. We'll all play uh, new Super Mario Brothers Wii with Charles Martinet, and it'll be and it'll be great." Uh, so we did this video, and um, he's doing the Mario voices throughout. And, um, yeah, it's actually quite annoying after a couple <laughs> of
1: minutes. Um, <laughs> I, you have to say, actually. I, mean, I think you can just imagine talking to Charles Martin today, and you'd know it would be annoying. Like, no offense to him, but it is annoying. <laughs>
2: yeah uh, that's that's unnecessarily mean isn't it of me but uh, no no i think i think if you watched it if you if you find the video you probably can you can probably see our kind of faces drop after a while where it's like oh this is really this is really funny for the first couple of minutes and then it's like uh let's just
0: Let's get to this level away. Eh? Hey, <laughs> he is that's a very nice. He is a very nice man. Like, that's just make that. Clear. Oh, he's a lovely man. That's lovely. <laughs> yeah, just to make that clear, was <laughs> you sort of laying into him, which happens a lot on this podcast, which is funny. But you know, there's
1: only so much Mario voice you can put up with. Like, there's a reason Mario isn't like monologuing in game it's because you don't want to hear his helium voice the whole time. Like, he, he makes a couple of noises a level, and that's fine. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, there's a reason he's not doing, like, full dialogue for, like, the Paper Mario games, you know what I mean? Like, it's... <laughs> <laughs> Just an internal monologue the whole game. <laughs> that would be a tough hang, for sure. Yes. <laughs> um, were those all your big uh, big interviewees, uh, Neil? Was there anyone else who still wanted a name check in there? Yeah, no, I
2: think that was that
0: you was met, it.
1: Um, you met Kojima at that E3 we were there together.
2: Did
0: we? Did I? Yeah, because <laughs> you
1: you yeah because you had a you weren't expecting him to be there for snake eater 3d
2: zero recollection of this oh,
1: well, I, <laughs> I, fill I, me so, in i so well, i i only remember it because so that was the year probably 2011 um i went out and i was yeah, there yeah. with o and m like a bit like the dragon quest pokemon thing again apologies to chris
2: but <laughs> <laughs> I, I, so, yeah we really did chris dirty though i know like, what <laughs> That is so unfair, isn't it? Yeah,
1: well, again, great for me. I mean, this podcast literally wouldn't have happened without these trips, so, um, (laughs) yeah. We were doing, like, daily podcasts from E3, you, me, and Gavin, in your hotel room. I don't know if you remember that, but... Yes, um, It was a preview for Metal Gear Solid 3D. You hadn't been told in advance it was going to be Kojima talking through the game. But it was Kojima talking through the game. and But the only thing I remember from this was that there was someone else there. And um, <laughs> he... <laughs> during the interview... You, you sit next to this other journalist and you said on his notepad, he didn't write anything except he wrote the word Kojima and then started drawing endless boxes around it. And I remember <laughs> that just struck me as incredibly funny, but the idea that someone just absolutely biffed it meeting Kojima and didn't know what, like, have anything to contribute, so just wrote in his notes, Kojima. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: think it's, it's arguably worse... Uh meeting kojima and having zero recollection of it uh, like i have Fuck. wow <laughs> this, right, that's okay. I, I, I do not i honestly don't remember uh, was that gav it might maybe
1: it was gav who took maybe it was gav who told us but yeah but uh, that was um because i remember doing bookings for that year and it was like end gamer do you want to come and see metal gear and i was like nah uh, <laughs> because like oh it's a port it, you know i don't really need to sit through a demonstration for that but um, I could have had a Kojima outdo. I could have been the guy sitting in the room writing just Kojima on my notepad. <laughs> <laughs> One feature I was really, really jealous of um, was O&M did a a visit to see Sing, the makers of Hotel Dusk and Another Code. Was, was that a trip you did?
2: Yeah, it was me and... Um rich stanton on edge
1: sort of like a baffling thing for nintendo uk to do and it showed (laughs) like this was at the height of wii u and ds mania so they were spending so much money but the idea of taking you out to see
2: another code
1: which is like niche as hell but in hindsight like a trip i would love to have done i was just wondering if you could you know do you remember anything about that trip were they cool were they cool people
2: it was um it was weird uh yeah, I think we got there, had dinner, went to bed, played the game in the morning, interviewed them and then flew, flew out either that evening or the following morning.
1: Oh, that's tough. So it's,
2: yeah, like all the way to Japan and back. It wasn't Tokyo, it was Fukuoka. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but yeah, so we flew to Tokyo and then to, to Fukuoka. And uh, yeah, so it was pretty tight. Um, I, The main, yeah, my main memory of it is like playing the game, getting stuck on a puzzle, classic stuff. <laughs> um running back and forth between you're 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 this teenage girl called ashley and you're running back and forth between like a, a pond and your house and <laughs> there's, there's clearly some item that you need to take from your the house to the pond or whatever right and and uh yeah i remember getting stuck on that i figured it out eventually did a very quick sort of stilted interview with them where they're like the, the Japanese sort of power dynamics were in play, where the boss would sit—is it the far left or the far right of the table? Can't remember which. They 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 sort of came in 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 order of um, power at the right. um, studio, and there was like an ashtray in the, in the in this windowless room <laughs> full of fags, and um, <laughs> and it was this quite. Yeah, uh, I mean, it was a nice feature in the end. I, I, I we got a, an artist to do Ashley from the game, like a really nice illustration of Ashley with the game, like holding a Wii remote and mm. stuff like that. Um, I don't remember the interview being like dynamite, but um, right. yeah, it was it was good. I mean, it was, yeah, it was, um, I think they they maybe saw that as like in the way that Professor Layton had kind of opened up. A new kind of Nintendo player, or whatever. I think mm. maybe they saw another code as a way of doing that for uh, a new demographic. I suppose right. I don't know what the thinking was. Honestly, the best bit about that trip was the flights. <laughs> it, it was really <laughs> nice flight, really nice food. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, quite quite an odd. That's that's my only trip to Japan that I did on O and M because you took the others. <laughs> and... <laughs> well, I, listen
1: i would have happily swapped pokemon for sing <laughs>
2: for we, sure yeah we probably should have sent you on sing one so, sorry to chris scullion again
1: i like that. that's the theme of this episode um endgamer was quite shambolic and lent into that as kind of its persona obviously o&m as sort of an official mag had a more professional sort of veneer but i also know that like Every mag has its kind of horror stories. Subscription tins aside, were there any like absolute kind of howlers or clangers on your watch?
2: Yeah, loads. Um, (laughs) uh, (laughs) No, it wasn't. It wasn't wasn't that bad. Um, The um, the famous one of the Phantom Hourglass art. Oh. But the poster said "Twilight Princess."
0: Oh yeah, yeah.
2: And Twilight and Twilight Princess is spelt wrong. <laughs> uh, oh was, yeah, T- that, that's, Twilight that's, Princess. Or that's, something. Not, that's not that's that wasn't me. That was uh, before my time. But um, oh <laughs> okay,
1: how, I, I I've always wanted to know how do you get a, an official logo? Like how do you modify an official logo to spell
2: it wrong? I mean,
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's that's like um, that's a miracle know. error. So
2: I mean. so funny, so good. <laughs> yeah, that. that's um, yeah, that's. Valued colleagues thrown under the bus. There, brilliant. Um, <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry to everyone involved in that. Um, uh, no, I, I've got my own clangers, of course. Uh, I, I we we sent the entire wrong news section to print <laughs> once when I was at um, I was at Gamescom signing out pages on a fucking BlackBerry, and um, <laughs> it was like the sixth round of pages coming through. Right, So I was making like really annoying little changes here and there, and. Um, I guess I, I d- there was some mix-up somewhere along the line where I've obviously signed off the wrong ones or some fucking mix-up. Uh, and and yeah, there, there was like the entire news section of, I think it was an August or a September, it must have been a September issue, where there was just, it was just riddled with typos and strange errors because we didn't have a production editor at the time as well. Oh. We had like some freelance production editor who just <laughs> completely fucked the whole thing. Um <laughs> So that went out to um, tens of thousands of readers. That was good. Um, oh wow! We had a cover pulled after it was sent to print. It was the Mario and Sonic Winter Olympics game. Right. the The, the issue was done, and Dale and I were in the pub, half nine, ten o'clock. We got this call from Sega saying uh, the the Olympics committee uh, don't want to announce the game yet. Um, oh. So you've got to, you've got to scrap the cover and just do something else oh. so we so dale and i had to go back to the office after quite a few pints and just, <laughs> and just redo the packaging and the cover and and i also had to find i think it must have been a six or an eight page preview oh my god i had to fill like a six or eight page hole in the magazine
1: after deadline and, uh,
2: <laughs> yeah it was all it was gone it was like it was done Oof. um uh, yeah, I don't know if you've got in this much trouble with production before, but it was like if this goes one day late, it costs this many thousands. Yeah. <laughs> if it goes two days late, it costs this many thousands, and it was like this has to be done the next day, otherwise you're like in big trouble. So yeah, that was. Uh, I mean, not, not a clanger per se. Yeah. Not anyone's not anyone's fault, but. Um,
1: Can you remember what you replaced it with?
2: Oh fuck! It was um, yeah. It was uh, it was Dragon Quest Six, I think on oh, the DS man. Oh, uh, nice uh, <laughs> yeah that, made, that, ex- was,
1: that explains some things
2: <laughs> yeah I think it was a really big <laughs> it was just like a really tight crop on the main guy's face
1: I remember that cover but, and thinking oh wow they're really into Dragon Quest <laughs> no, no
2: we're not into Dragon Quest at all uh, Square uh, Enix were, are like
1: absolutely yeah. amazing what a turn out for us <laughs> yeah
2: yeah <laughs> The, the, I think the rationale was there was no, there was nothing else in the issue, and that was the highest scoring review. Right. Oh, I think we I think we had the first review, and we uh, and that was the the rationale. You're but, right. Um, also, <laughs> the fact that the, the one of the biggest <laughs> selling issue of O and M was just a really tight crop on Sonic's face. Right. Years ago. And that um, Sonic
1: Unleashed, right?
2: Yeah, I think so. That was the thinking. It was like, okay, big faces work. We'll go with the big face. <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> And the, the, there you go, um, Dragon Quest. Quest. I think it was six. That wow, I
1: I had no idea that was the story behind that being on the cover. That's one yet that you get in as a rival magazine and go, oh okay. I mean, to each their own. But yeah,
2: I, I, there was yeah, there was so much going on. You never know what's going on with a magazine at any given time, do you? It's <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. sometimes you have to pull the whole
0: fucking thing and start again. So yeah, it's like. I always find it interesting, the whole production, it costs X amount thing, because, like, I sometimes wonder if that was a bit apocryphal to spook editors from trying to do it, because (laughs) (laughs) there's a couple of times I pulled things, like, it was a Christmas where I panicked about using the word redneck in a preview, Um, I thought, (laughs) is that an offensive term, and so I just changed it and changed the page, and then, like, was this emailing like, a production editor on Christmas Eve or something, like, please can we just, please can we change this? and uh they would sometimes it was free and then like one time when there was an accidental like dragging and dropping of a preview page onto another page in the um futures kind of slightly odd software they use for um sending mags to print where we duplicated a page basically it was like a few hundred quid but i always wondered how true it was the whole like you know the deeper it gets, the more money it costs, almost like a, like a video game logic to it or something. Right. It was a bit, um, a bit sort of strange, but uh, yeah.
1: I was also going to ask very briefly about uh, Girl Gamer, which I think was on your watch. watch. This was a... Was whoa, whoa, some...
2: whoa, hold on. Not on my watch.
1: <laughs> you didn't, did you inherit wait, wait, it? Wait,
2: just the <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. I... I, I inherited it, yeah.
1: Yeah, this was a <laughs> supplement that came free with o and A games magazine aimed at younger female gamers, thus girl gamer. Um, yeah. I No no real notes other than it's like one of those things you see where you think, oh, I don't envy them having to make that. And you can almost hear the conversations behind it of like, this is going to happen.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, that was just... Um, I think that was just a thing that the management at the time had dreamed up to... Uh, get some more money. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think you know it was a paid-for supplement. So the uh, we, yeah we we were just told to do it, and um, and as much as we protested about doing it, it sort of had to happen because de- deals were done. It didn't last that long. I, don't, I think we only did two when I was there.
1: I'm not judging it or anything. Like on my time on ONM when I was associate editor, we were making a Pokemon comic. Like uh, not to go with the mag, it was sold separately. Like we were making an official Pokemon magazine no, really? but i think oh, it was cool. on comic paper stock and like mm. that came out of our team i have no idea who actually like touched it <laughs> you know in terms of on the team i don't know if it was an after work project that was always one of the great mysteries of
0: M. was like where the fuck did this pokemon comic come from that i think, think like... i know this matthew i think it's it was like a german mag that was translated into english like that's yeah yeah yeah, yeah i heard that from Nick Roberts, who used to work with and used to run the very deeply unofficial and dubious Pokemon World magazine. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, Basically, yeah, like it was. uh, And so he said that, oh yeah, they basically features now doing its own official Nintendo thing. He said, but the contents all translated from German, so there's a slightly odd tonal (laughs) element to it. And so maybe that's maybe that's the mystery, explained Matthew. I don't know.
1: Yes, that I mean that goes some way to explain like how no one seemed to be making it, but it was seemingly coming from our team like it was credited <laughs> to our team i was like who the fuck is making this like <laughs> I, i've never seen a printout of this fucking mag it's
0: a, a tr- that was a true mystery so i suppose like on a more positive note then uh neil were there any covers you're particularly proud of in your time on onm
2: it was a good four years or so so there's loads of loads of mags in there that i was pleased with the 3ds cover was you know, it's, it's all Dale's work, the art editor, but um, mm. the the 3D lenticular cover was just amazing. Um,
1: is that really hard to make? Like the actual... I don't really know what the yeah, process it took,
2: is. It took ages. Yeah, it, like he had to provide the printers with an incredibly complex Photoshop file with each layer of 3D on it. Right. And each of the characters. So it had, it had Ryu at the front and um, uh, all the characters from various... 3DS launch games on it they all were in their own layer of 3D and yeah it took it, it took like two months to do oh wow um, and uh it came out amazingly uh, like it, it's all it's all dale's work really so yeah, yeah kudos, kudos to him we did a really nice um other m uh cover and wallet where like the the <laughs> the wallet is like the cardboard uh thing it, i and was always in packaging So uh, the cardboard was like this sort of mirror cardboard stuff that had this like, like an oil slick uh, on water sort of effect. Right. You know, that sort of multicoloured effect. And that was like Samus's mask. And then when he took the mag out, it was like Samus's face. Oh, yeah. We got this like renderer person to like, we got some other MR and got a renderer, like a 3D artist to like, Render these images, so they weren't official Nintendo images. We we, we did them ourselves, right. and then we sent them. We sent them through Nintendo, and and uh, got those on the on the packaging and the cover. We we did a similar thing for Mario Galaxy 2, You know when you finish a level on Yoshi and he's got the star. Um, oh yeah, yeah. And he's like, hey, whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> So really, um, encapsulating the, the joy of Nintendo there. Sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like we took a screenshot of that and we got someone to render that up so that, that was the, like we did, um, all kinds of different covers based on like cloud Mario and all of his other abilities. Oh like, yeah. yeah. S- Drill Mario. So we had like a split run of like five or six different covers. All your favorite. Yeah. You know, Drill Mario, everyone's favorite um and uh yeah the subscriber one was um was Mario with the star and Yoshi and uh yeah I was really pleased with that that was the um cover thing on the packaging as well so though it came in like this sort of fancy box with a flap on the front we got quite good at um, elaborate packaging um mm. for for sort of special event covers um which uh yeah it's you know Hard hard work getting the approval. I say hard work. It was all Dale, uh, the art editor, Dale. So you know, kudos to him. But um, yeah, getting those approvals and getting Nintendo to be okay with us using sort of slightly unofficial images was um, like behind the scenes was quite a big job. Oh
1: yeah, I mean we we never tried pitching anything like that. Um, I think we did some mod. I think we did a bit of modified. Rabbids art for when we did Zombie U on the cover, we mm. th- th- uh, there was they were nervous about just having like quite a photorealistic Buckingham Palace guard zombie on the front, so they decided to add this. Rabbit at the bottom of the art, and he was getting like—is he bitten or something by the zombie? <laughs> it was like, oh, let's let's soften this zombie by the presence of a rabbit. That will make this somehow palatable. <laughs> but yeah, that you know, not being a first party thing, we could obviously—it wasn't as challenging to get that past. Do you have
0: any uh, more covers you want to discuss, there, Neil? In,
2: in terms of sort of behind the scenes maneuverings, um, you know, the Golden Eye Cup, we did. I was
1: going to ask about this one because I remember you guys doing Golden Eye, and I remember hearing it was. Quite a, like, secrecy ball eight
2: Yeah, so it, it was in the E3 conference that year. That was a reveal in the um, in the E3 Nintendo conference. So Activision sort of came to us a couple of months beforehand, and they were like, GoldenEye's coming back. It's got Daniel Craig in it. Um, <laughs> so, we yeah, we put together this cover, and, like, we moved the on-sale date so that it was the day after the E3 conference. So it was, like... <laughs> It's a bit of a tightrope, uh, high wire act. Whatever the whatever the phrase is, mm. um, it, yeah, it was it was a complicated thing to organise. But um, we saw the game and we did the reveal, and it was like obviously you never see what's in the Nintendo, what's first pa- the first party stuff from a Nintendo conference, mm. but uh, third party because it was Activision, it was sort of deemed okay. So yeah, um, and th- that was another like. Uh, nervy last few moments because it would all it was all gone and uh, off to print and and getting packaged up and we, I think we asked the printers to like like do some elaborate shit around no one seeing the mag before because if we fucked Nintendo's conference that year we right. would have been in a colossal amount of trouble. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I think there were some extra measures taken at the printers so no no subs mags went out or. Anything like that, and no, no one really saw it until the day after the conference, and it's all gone as well. And um, last last minute, Daniel Craig's people wanted to see the cover. There was like a, a chance that they wouldn't like it and would have to pull it all. Um, oh. We sent it to <laughs> we sent it to Daniel Craig's people, uh, and they had to approve it overnight before we could uh, proceed. And if they'd have said no, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, what we'd have done but we would have had to cobble something together oh, but um man. yeah it was uh it, it came out like it, it's quite an uh, you know having daniel craig on the cover of a nintendo magazine is quite unusual um yeah. but i think it was worth the main maybe not the best cover uh per se but like mm. or, but the, in terms of like announcing something like right on the On the moment it was announced It was was worth it I think in the end For making a We had to tease it very carefully as well So that like in the next month page We had to say like a Nintendo classic returns
1: Oh but that caused like a huge Big old buzz on the internet I remember everyone going mad for it
2: Because we we didn't want to hype it too much So if we'd have done like Next month O&M Big reveal Fucking you know Everyone get excited. It would have been like too much. Yeah, <laughs> people would have been just annoyed if yeah. it was like, "Oh, it's oh, it's GoldenEye," because uh, I think people wanted like the forum was going mad for like a new I don't know, a new Star Fox or a Donkey Kong or a Metroid, or, <laughs> you know, one of the one of the Dashing um, is back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Ice Climbers.
0: Yeah. Fuck yeah. <laughs> I do like the idea of like Daniel Craig's people seeing that and being like, yeah, we want to make sure we approve anything going out, like, including, you know, including Daniel. And it's like, if i was his people i wouldn't have let him star in a uh, fucking golden eye playing pierce Brosnan's role in like a dodgy <laughs> remake that would have been like my move as his, his people um i'm sure that game wasn't like a career highlight for him but uh yeah a, a cool a cool cover opportunity for sure the other cover i wanted to ask you about neil was um you did gta chinatown wars the cover right so mm. i was curious what you made of working with rockstar and bringing that together because um i think matthew you've said before you're basically shut out by rockstar on this one so um what was that like, Neil?
2: Yeah, it was great. Uh, they were br- they were brilliant. Um, they they just sort of approached us and said, "We'd love to do a cover. You can have the world exclusive, the the you know the first review, the first bit of art they gave us was like a picture of this sort of large Elvis impersonator guy on a on a bike, on like a sort of Harley Davidson, um, and they wanted that to be the cover, is my <laughs> re- recollection. Uh, and we talked them out of that. Yeah, we we ended up doing what is basically the sort of pack shot uh, on yeah. the cover, but. No, they were great. Like they just I went to their offices, I think I I previewed it and then a couple of weeks later they they just gave us they just gave us the DS cartridge and I signed an NDA and and I took the I took it home and, and played it and reviewed it. They were they were brilliant. Um oh, really cool. like not at all sort of scary or intimidating.
1: Was there anything like difficult to navigate it being like official Nintendo?
2: Yeah, it was um it was like about three months into my Tenure this, and, and, and it was. Uh, I think Mad World was out at the same time, right? And um, Nintendo were a bit, yeah. I think they were a bit, you know, understandably a bit nervous about this drug dealing uh, crime game being on the <laughs> front of their mag,
1: even after the weed tin incident,
2: <laughs> <laughs> even after the, yeah, maybe they maybe they got into it after the weed tin and they
0: were like, a- Yeah. Drugs are drugs are cool, guys. Well, they never got one because the subs copies. <laughs> oh yeah. sent to them, didn't have them, so they yeah. they never saw the weed tin. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> Rare as hen's teeth, those things. I think they um, they saw the opportunity to you know to work. It's a GTA game on their platform. It was. I don't think they'd. It was the first. It was the first one, wasn't it? Apart from maybe Manhunt. Yeah, and...
1: Manhunt Two. I mean, we had had like table tennis and Bully, but GTA outside of Game Boy games and things, it was yeah, not a. Not a going concern for sure.
2: I think the the power of GTA at the time overpowered any concerns about it <laughs> right. being like bad for the readership, and we we uh, we made sure on the packaging we almost like made it like this is the eighteen rated issue without sounding too much like a fauna or whatever. Right, um, <laughs> we were like because we reviewed Mad World in the same issue. Right. Uh, So we had GTA and Mad World uh, in the same issue. And it was like, only buy this if you're over 18. We had to be very careful with how we did the packaging that month. Right. I think, I can't can't really remember, but I think we put something sort of more Nintendo-y on the packaging and just had the logo, the GTA logo on it. And then next to Kirby. (laughs) (laughs) Kirby (laughs) hoovering up some drugs. (laughs) Uh, yeah I I don't know I can't really remember but um, yeah we we had to position it quite carefully that's for sure and uh, the (laughs) my main memory of that is like getting the sales figures in a couple of weeks later and seeing yeah it was uh, like it was a big disaster that issue no Um, no one really wow well yeah I think you know O&M's readership was was kids really Um, Mm. and if you if you say to mums and dads at the supermarket, don't buy this for your kid on the mm. packaging, um, it was uh, <laughs> it has a big uh, effect on the actual issues sales. Um, yeah, <laughs> kind of makes sense when you think about it. But at the time, it was cool. So, uh, we just wanted to do GTA, so we did it. Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah, no, that's cool. Yeah, that that game I think did like undersell a little bit from what they were expecting it to. It sort of arrived at a weird, a slightly weird time when piracy was really hitting the ds hard as well with the old r4 carts and stuff but uh yeah, yeah. interesting to hear about um for sure um cool well that is everything we wanted to ask you Neil. is there anything else sort of, sort of stray memories or things you wanted to sort of like mention before we uh punch out just want to
2: say it's nice to be on uh my favorite podcast genuinely Aww. um I- i've really enjoyed uh listening to it over the last couple of years it came along at the right time as well it's brilliant sort of pandemic listening where it started in the pandemic right
0: yeah, 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 that's right, end of yeah. 2020.
2: Really good, I really enjoy it, so thank you.
0: Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, thank you for coming on and sharing your memories, Neil. So um, yeah, uh, just to sort of like, you know, tell people where to find you, do you want to like uh, plug plug the site, plug where to find you on Twitter again?
2: My website is mobilegamer.biz. Um, it's it's for the mobile games industry. Um, and uh, I'm on Twitter at uh, Neil underscore long underscore
0: end of twitter handle <laughs> <laughs> that was the real reason i want you to read it out again i just <laughs> wanted to yeah come back to that um yeah that's awesome thanks for coming on neil really appreciate it uh, matthew where can people find you on social media mr basil underscore pesto no more underscores <laughs> this podcast is supported by patreon patreon.com slash backpage pod if you'd like two extra podcasts a month uh four pound 50 xl tier is uh, is the one you want uh, join over 600 hopefully happy people who are supporting <laughs> us every month, which we really appreciate. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Samuel W. Roberts, the podcast at Backpage Pod on Twitter. There's also BackpageGames at gmail.com. And uh, we'll be back next week with a new episode. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.